Welcome to the Pit Stop Podcast, your fast-paced podcast for Formula One news and analysis. Throughout the Formula One season, we will be recapping every race as well as breaking down the biggest stories on and off the track, all before setting you up for the next race on the Formula One schedule. Whether you're a seasoned Formula One fan or you have just discovered the rush of racing, this podcast has something for you. Okay, here we go. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Pit Stop Podcast, presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Joined again here by Jordan and Tyler. I am Braden. Guys, the Monaco Grand Prix started out wetter than Steph Curry's three-point shooting. Uh, After about a 45-minute delay, we finally got to racing, which resulted in a tight battle between Red Bull and Ferrari for podium positions. We saw Perez finish first with Sainz in second and Verstappen in third with the hometown kid who led most of the race, finishing out out on the outside looking in, and that, of course, Charles Leclerc. Tyler, on the last episode, we agreed that this could very well be a frustrating race to watch with so few opportunities for overtaking. Did the Monaco Grand Prix meet your expectations? The Monaco Grand Prix exceeded my expectations. I think at the end of the episode last week, I said, if you watch anything this weekend, watch qualifying. And qualifying was fantastic if you did tune in. Um, It ended the same way that last year ended with someone uh, crashing on the very last last go around, last chance to to, uh, have a qualifying lap. Um, But the race itself, because of the rain, because of the different... Uh, strategies that everybody had to use actually was fantastic and I could not have been happier watching it I think we had a great race I think we had a good weekend in Monaco that probably saved it for the next couple years hopefully Jordan I know you also were quite keen on the Monaco Grand Prix Um, you have to agree that this race was uh, frustrating for some specifically for everyone who found themselves behind Mr. Greybeard two-time world champion, Fernando Alonso. What were your thoughts here on, on the guy? I mean, the mid-tier section kind of was where a lot of the racing that we saw happen have happened. Uh, we'll get to the Red Bull-Ferrari uh, battle later on, but I want to get in right in on why that might have been frustrating for a lot of the, the teams in the mid-tier, uh, not only because of the weather, but because of how slow Fernando Alonso and, uh, was keeping up. Uh, in this race. Yeah. I mean, uh, as Tyler said, it was one of those races that we got a lot of different uh, types of drama. And I think that for me, there was kind of two races. There was like the, the stalled slow to get going race with the real rain at the beginning, the delayed start, all of that up until like the first red flag and then coming out of the pits at the second sort of half of the race for me, it was a completely different energy and feel. We knew what the front was going to be. The strategy battle between Red Bull and Ferrari had kind of been determined by that point. So the leaders kind of pulled away. And as you say, Fernando Alonso became like, like the cork in the, in a very sort of backlog bottleneck. Um, but it was interesting because you had his teammate in Ocon who was suffering from a five second penalty and was you know feeling a little bit frustrated by the fact that he was going to kind of get screwed out of points just because of how everything was training up there um the weather had obviously played its sort of uh factor earlier on everyone was now on the same kind of tire strategy so it was kind of two races but for me as i said going into this race monaco is one of two things 
either it is very pedestrian and very sort of ho-hum as it was last year. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a single flag. We didn't have a single kind of um, change to the order. It was what we expected and it did what it was supposed to do. This year was the complete opposite. And this is why the diehard fans, I think, do still appreciate what Monaco is capable of, which is when the weather changes or when something comes up, Monaco is exciting because it, it, it throws so many wild cards. You know, drivers got to the end of this race and I think they were just glad that they had successfully made it there. Those of them who did yeah. get there to the end safely. You know, Zhao had, I think, probably the quote of the weekend saying, I need a new pair of pants because he had just <laughs> got to the end of that race and just survived. Um, but it, I, I thought it was incredibly entertaining. It was a great weekend. It was a great weekend. And to start with qualifying Monaco, going into um, the weekend, knowing that this could very well decide the race, um, and you had well, the frustrating thing for me watching qualifying was in Q3 Sonata causes a crash to end the hopes of anyone else. Like you then I think they then had a red flag in Q3, which meant everybody goes into the pits. And then there was two minutes and like, or actually, I think there was a one minute and 40 seconds left. So everybody would have one chance to get around to that start in Q2. In Q2. That's right. When they were still, was it Q2? Yeah, because it was Q2. And they were worried some of the teams weren't going to get all the way around. Yeah. Well, Gasly didn't get around. That's right. And That's the right. frustrating thing as a fan and also as so I, I don't understand why some teams do this, but why Sunata came out of that red flag ahead of Gasly. Yeah. He's the one who caused the crash. He's the one Gasly needed to put a lap time in because yeah. he was already a driver at risk at that moment. So to see Sunata come out first and then Gasly didn't make it around in time to make another um, uh, chance at getting into the next qualifying session, it was extremely frustrating as a Gasly and AlphaTauri fan to see that because we saw the first 20 laps of, of the race yesterday, that was Gasly. Gasly made that entertaining. He went intermediate. Totally. I think it was one of the first person, people to go intermediate. And then you just saw him go and he was making, like he passed Zhao, like amazing pass on him, racing pass. And then he passed Ricardo after that. Like he was actually making was that amazing. race entertainment. And yeah. arguably had the best race, I was going to say, you know, like he climbed six spots, finishing oh, yeah. just outside the points, P11. But uh, Pierre Gasly's performance was was fantastic in the race. Yeah. And he needed it considering the last couple of races, he hasn't been strong, uh, specifically last weekend. So, or weekend before last, but it, it was nice to see him and it was entertaining to watch him try to climb back through that midfield because you see other cars like Hamilton couldn't get past Alonso at the end, but um, guys were making it happen at the beginning of the race, which was keeping it entertaining. And then going to slicks with all the Ferrari drama that happened with that was the pit stops in this race were a thing of beauty to watch if you're a fan of strategy. And there so was let, a, they yeah, were as confused by everybody else doing it sometimes. Let's let's stay on that that point there with this Red Bull and, and Ferrari battle. Obviously, this is the new battle. Mercedes has kind of fallen out of favor when it with respect to that. We'll get into Mercedes and their their situation a bit later here too. But Jordan, Red Bull Ferrari, like Ferrari is the you know, sort of the newer team to this top battle this this season. They've had a couple bad seasons, they've struggled a little bit. Red Bull strategically had to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with an eight-time world champion in, in in what Mercedes was doing last season. And there were a couple opportunities that Mercedes just completely dominated. I'm thinking Barcelona last year, for example, where Mercedes just completely outthought them. Red Bull this year, especially in this race, has, has seemed to be a bit more um, 
and sort of anticipating the different outcomes. They're seeing that it's, they're playing 3D chess where Ferrari is still sort of on a two-dimensional board, right? Yeah. And in this race specifically, they played their strategy flawlessly. They identified the opportunity for an undercut or an overcut before Ferrari could respond. Ferrari... I think got caught up in a bit of a, a difficult situation where Carlos Sainz clearly did not want to go onto the intermediates. He wanted to go right to the slicks. And I think that by doing that, he affected the outcome of, of the other driver in, in, in their race strategy on the other side of the, of the garage, because I think Charles Leclerc's original plan to go to the intermediates or his his engineer's plan to go to the intermediates was turned out to be the right one everyone who went to the intermediates for a moment and then you know a couple laps about 15 laps and then changed over was successful red bull especially but it caught ferrari up and then of course they had the miscommunication and the the missed opportunity which i know tyler wants to talk about the just it, it was definitely just an example of an experienced team in red bull who has been fighting for the top of the championship more recently than Ferrari taking advantage of Ferrari's maybe uh, I, I guess like lack of, of sort of wits in this situation. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the fact that the weekend's race before Perez had to give that spot up to Verstappen, because if you, if they're not teammates and they're racing against each other, Verstappen was going to pass Perez. Like it was, it, yes, Perez got the benefit of looking good for letting Verstappen pass him and have that like good teammate look, the same with this was Verstappen was never in a place to win this race at all at any point of this weekend. Yeah. He qualified or he he finished fourth in practice every practice session. He finished fourth finished fourth in qualifying. Perez was faster than Verstappen at every single point of Monaco this weekend. So if you were a gambler and you're looking, oh well, the easy money's on Verstappen because he's the guy leading the the championship race. But if you watched any of that stuff, you saw that. Perez was out for blood this weekend. And if this was not Verstappen and Red Bull saying, Hey, thanks for letting us get ahead of you the weekend before we're going to pay this one back to you. This was Perez going out and taking it. And that's what he did. And he did have some help from Ferrari completely botching their entire strategy based on pit stops. And I mean, I don't know. Like it, it, it was also weird that at that last red flag that happened kind of late in the race, Red Bull didn't change their tires. They stayed on the 11 lap hards and everybody else, well, not everybody else, but the top 10 all sweat, well, all went to newer tires, but Ferrari stayed and they actually helped them out. They actually stayed there. They just couldn't pass Perez, who's the minister of defense, the guy that you, you will not pass. And he was in a perfect position for this. And, and I made part of me wonders that if, Verstappen was two instead of being split with that Ferrari. Would they have asked him to give that spot up? I, that's actually more interesting than than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, and it opens the door, kind of, <laughs> to suggest that you know Sergio Perez, point wise, is it is at least putting up uh, enough good results that a few races from now we could be having a conversation about a Red Bull one, two uh, at the top of the table. If, if, if Ferrari can't get this turned around and regardless, I mean, it's a three-way race right now, which is exciting. It, 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 it very well could become a, a four-way race. If Carlos Sainz can kind of get the car that he's in back on track. But I think there is a serious conversation that 
needs to be had on our show and, and, and shows like this as we move forward about whether or what, like what Red Bull does if they get themselves into a situation where we have a championship being fought by two of their drivers, right? We haven't seen that from Red Bull in a very long time. The last real sort of situation we have to use as history on this is the Nico Rosberg, Lewis Hamilton fight in the Silver Arrows War, as they called it, when obviously Nico won and is the only reason that Lewis doesn't currently have eight championships to correspond with the constructors titles that Mercedes has, because at that time, Mercedes let the two guys go. I don't know if Red Bull's ready to do that. I think as we've discussed on this, Sergio is clearly number two, but you know, he has results like this where even if Max had wanted to, there was no way Max was winning this no, race. No, just no. By and, how, and you don't how, risk how. it either, right? You don't yeah, risk it. And Max, Max would have, sorry, Max would have finished fourth if it wasn't for Ferrari's uh, mishap in the pit lanes. And and to go to the driver's standings, it's Leclerc at 116 points. Sergio Perez is 110 points. He's six points behind second place. So yeah, it's it not could far very off. quickly be a Red Bull, Red Bull driver standing race for the next five or six <laughs> and it could have very well been a one-two finish for Red Bull in the Monaco race uh, after like I think it was what lap like twenty-three or twenty-four something. Carlos Sainz had that kind of spin out and he caught himself. Oh, himself uh, yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit more about just how the weather affected this race. One thing we we saw early was well to start the race we saw a. a, a what do you call it? A moving start or a, a yeah, a rolling start. Uh, yeah, a rolling start. Well, um, after even, the red flag, there was no stop start. That was a kind of something that was they, they had claimed that there was not enough uh, what dry line or or enough to yeah. They, it didn't make a lot of sense uh, with respect to that. The other aspect of this too, no DRS for a long time. Uh, once that kind of came in, then there was a lot more strategy going on. But the weather seemed to really impact this race uh, right from the get go. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. The whole, the whole first 20 laps guys were talking about when do we go to intermediates? Like there's one dry line. It's pretty bad out here. Um, and once you have that dry line on the wets, you can't stay on it. You have to find different water puddles to make those tires work longer. And that's why we saw Gasly running through the field on intermediates. And, and then the strategy became, do we go to intermediates and then go to slicks? Or do we stay on the wets and go to slicks? And that decision was what was the flaw in Ferrari ultimately ultimately losing spots in this race, ultimately probably losing the yeah, the, 100%. the 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 championship, well, not the championship, but the the race. Yeah, no, yeah, they started one, two, and they and they find themselves in in three, four. I mean, that's hundred uh, percent strategy failure. Uh, the other factor with the weather uh, that is interesting is the fact that. I think that when these teams prepare throughout a weekend, you think about how a weekend is laid out, right? They're getting all of the data and information that they can through practice. They, you know, they're gathering that the, 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 the different um, uh, adjustments or changes or, or um, upgrades to their cars data as they move forward. We saw throughout the practice sessions this weekend that obviously Red Bull had good speed, Ferrari had good speed, but, Gasly had great practice sessions. Mercedes was having good sessions. There was a lot of different teams that had opportunities to get into qualifying and do well. Qualifying went 
pretty much as we expected it to, I guess, for the most part. It's a difficult course to drive regardless of the weather. But then you have this weather factor come in on Sunday that I think a lot of te- caught a lot of teams off guard. And the really interesting thing is, not only was the race start delayed by it, but this is one of those situations. Tyler spent some time talking earlier in the season about like different types of tracks and things. Here's a weird just anomaly of, 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 of Monaco. The pit lane is literally down a hill. Yeah. You have to push tires up a ramp at a very steep grade just to get to the starting grid. Once the cars were already there in place, they identified that they were going to have to start this race in rain. All of the teams are scrambling to get the tires they want to start the race on up to the grid. You've got all of this chaos. And that, for me, lays the groundwork that eventually gets to the Ferrari mistake. All of the strategy, all of the preparation, all of the planning goes out the window. Everybody's soaking wet. Everybody's flustered. If you've ever worked in weather of any kind, you know that you don't function in a cohesive, coordinated plan, regardless of how good your plan was, the minute weather becomes a factor. And I think that that is the great thing about Formula One in in these situations is that the best laid plans go to shit. Out the window when and it starts you could see the chaos. I mean, literally on the broadcast, you could just see the disorganization and the confusion. Oh, yeah. Are we starting the race from the from from the pit lane are we going to have a rolling start and then eventually we find out we're going to bring out the safety car we do two formation laps then they throw a red flag because it's too wet now we go back to the pits oh guess what we actually did start the race we didn't tell you this ahead of time yeah we're three laps we didn't in. know we would need to yeah we're three laps clock. in stroll and latifi have already crashed and pitted yeah i 100%. was let's let's talk about how let's oh, talk about God. the two canadians who can't just keep their cars like on the track without spinning during the formation laps like that was embarrassing that was but are we surprised again no we're not it's nicholas latifi poor guy i mean it's it is brutal but the weird thing is and i you know uh tyler mentioned this earlier in the day when we when we first started talking about formula one because it's hard to stop we were like we wait for the podcast but this is such a this is the first time this season where the time clock has come in. Yes. We yes. did not Sorry, run a full I, 77 lap. I didn't race. know that it, that was even a thing you guys. Yeah. I had no idea. It was what like, happened last what the year. What is the lap clock? Um and it's the reason uh George Russell finished second or did he win that? No, he, he did not win. He finished second place in that. So it was the reason George Russell with Williams finished second place last year is cuz they ran two laps and then it was a red flag for three and a half hours they could not safely go racing so that was the first time i had known about this clock situation and this time it was a completely different animal because they were actually racing and instead of watching the laps countdown you're watching the clock, the, the yeah. clock go down so, like yeah. so the the difference in strategies for that is you no longer care about your fuel so you can just ramp it up to 11 and just go 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 now that's tough to do in monaco because there's not it's not a very fast track but it's it begs the question as to because i asked jordan today i said what is the point of that clock what is what is the actual point of that clock and it's jordan said it was it's probably light based or when the sun is set or when they safely cannot go driving with the amount of light that is around the track which is the only reason i i could agree with the the time because what else what other reason would it be for you have the day rented out for all that like that track no kidding 
and there's no lights around there. It's just a street race. Just turn on the lights. Yeah, so uh, there, it, is a, it is a weird thing. There's technically one exception. I was looking at this earlier. I pulled it up again here. So the, there is a two-hour two time limit that has been set for the, the race must be concluded in the two-hour window. Uh, the, this came in a few years ago because there was a lot of, there were a lot of issues with this, I guess, in, in the, the, I guess the few years they'd had issues where like races were exceeding four, five hours because they were just waiting and they weren't sure when they were going to restart them. It's like a baseball game. You just sure, have a rain yeah. delay or whatever. Right. The issue is that light is a factor. The track is a factor. The other part of it, I guess, is just like the safety of the drivers and the folk. I don't know. All that, that kind of stuff. The whole bunch of different reasons. The only exception though, which is weird to me because this, this counteracts the argument about light, is that technically a, a race is allowed to exceed two hours if it is stopped for a red flag okay. so if you had a red flag stop that took over two hours to like clean the track or prepare then you could continue but it cannot exceed four hours in that thing so all but of a we sudden did, a we did have scale. a red flag we so have two red flags true and they that comes off the time uh in in that, that situation that okay. didn't contribute to the two hour window the okay. two hours was affected by the length the delay at the beginning of the race and then you had this two hour window once they had started racing it's so really if this thing. so if the, that ex, like, like a lot of rules is there at any point where they would just call off the race if, yes. if it rained yes and, that's and then what, what would happen and where would monica so, that happened last year at Spa, where eventually they just called the race they said it's no longer safe to drive there is no foreseeable weather yeah. pattern that is going to suggest that we are going to be able to run this race yeah. in a safe time they and they and they did they 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 basically sent the cars out in one last formation lap to say we've officially run this many laps of yeah. the race it's a very strange wait thing. and called that the race the yes. like three yeah. laps i don't remember that yeah that was last year at spa you know the thing for me with this one though that was really strange and this wasn't talked about a lot at the time on the broadcast because i don't think they really understood it at the time this race wasn't delayed at the beginning because of rain it was delayed because of a power failure they couldn't get the starting lights to work are you kidding me Let's no just get the old get the girl out all there right. with the, the two flags, flags and just all right all right all right there should be enough evidence that monica should not be considered <laughs> race no, apparently anymore. they had a power failure and then if you were paying close enough attention and maybe Which not fast forwarding through your PVR. PVR here's the deal well, during the like red, red flag, flag. <laughs> let's go let's get to the during the, the red on. flag they lost power in the commentary box and oh. he was unable to see anything on his monitors Crofty made a joke about this he said well now we've lost power in here and for about 20 minutes just before they restarted the race they couldn't see anything in the commentary box they literally had lost power. So there was a whole bunch of rolling blackouts throughout the principality of wow. Monte Carlo. So yes, uh, a whole continuation of a too lot of different yachts, factors going into this. Too much energy. But it led to some great racing, a lot of fun. I thought it was a great race at the end of the day. We got good quality race. racing. Yep. As you say, for me, like, I don't know who won. I don't remember now who won driver of the day for me it, it should have been pierre gasly that. yeah i didn't it should have been gasly yeah. it's always somebody at the top which is stupid yeah. pierre gasly was the number one entertainer for the first 40 he, minutes yeah, of that race he, he's the reason the race was exciting 100 oh, no doubt and then uh, as you said Braden, earlier and i just wanted to say one more thing about it the, the, the whole fernando alonso thing about becoming the bottleneck is so annoying to me because i understood the strategy from alpine side of it where they basically were saying look 
you have seventh place. We want those points. All you have to do is slow down and we can get these points. But behind him was Hamilton, who clearly had enough pace to be pushing. And then right behind him is their teammate who already has a penalty. And all they did was screw him over. It didn't seem like they knew. It didn't seem like Alonzo knew that 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 five seconds was like that didn't seem they brought they brought it up they brought it up to Ocon, but you're right Braden. i wonder if they relayed that message to that to your guy start speeding up but only when there was like 15 minutes left in the race you can't even say laps but um sergio perez was driver of the day with 27 percent of the vote pierre gasly 10 percent carlos signs nine percent um and then alonzo also got some votes he was the fifth place so hamilton it was like the equivalent of formula one trap it was that's what that was it It was was so horrible he opened a 25 second gap at one point yeah and then ironically almost impact the leaders because they got into a place where they were starting to lap cars yep. and it was playing a factor on whether or not Sir, uh, Carlos Sainz had an opportunity to overtake because there was a moment there briefly. And if that ha- if this race had run to its conclusion at 77 laps, I think Carlos Sainz may have had opportunities for a very aggressive overtake. Would he have taken it? I don't know. But if you look at how Pierre Gasly found opportunities earlier in the race to overtake, there was space for that. And that is a signal that these new generation cars have the potential moving forward to make Monaco more competitive. They followed closer than they've ever followed at Monaco. Those top four were right, like tip to tail all the way through those last couple laps. It looked at one point like Max was going to take a move on Carlos. They were a little afraid to do it. Monaco is still a very, very dangerous place to overtake. If you don't have space for it, there's basically, I mean, the fact that there's even one DRS zone is a joke because it's basically like 400 meters straight line and there's nowhere to overtake there. But there are opportunities if you're aggressive as as we learned from Pierre Gasly and give him a lot of credit because he, like Ricardo before him, when Ricardo used to drive for Red Bull, made Monaco a lot more exciting than it it, it otherwise would be. And uh, I mean, well, to yeah. me, that was that. That's the story coming and, out of it. And going back to Alonso and Ocon, that only hurt Alpine. Yeah. Oh yeah. With his drop from ninth, without him being able to get more time um, ahead of the tenth and eleventh spots, he fell to twelfth place out of the points, which then cost Alpine the opportunity to move ahead of Alfa Romeo for fifth in the constructors. Instructors championships. Well, yeah, and meanwhile, Bottas again landing in the points. Yeah, I mean, but uh, yeah, just and like, we're not surprised now. That's the that's the great thing. Um, exactly right. Yeah, like we're just uh, un, uh, again another end of George Russell as well. Top five again. Well, and that's that's what I want to lead to here. Mercedes clearly has pace. Uh, unfortunately, being stuck behind Alonso Hamilton couldn't get you know any uh, but yeah. further. Russell yeah, finishing in top five in every single race. But yet, Mercedes unable to dominate the podium this year. Is that will that turn around, you guys? Yes. Yeah, I think Mercedes is going to in the next couple of races here be fighting for the top opportunity to get themselves into this this fight. Will they have a chance at a championship? Probably not. Will they have a chance to at least compete from the constructor side? I think yes. Why? Because Russell is putting enough points on the board. He's driving incredibly well. Hamilton is clearly still struggling a little bit with this new car. However, in the last two races, Hamilton has demonstrated that he has the pace in in this car. As I said before, if he hadn't had to come from where he came from after that bad incident two weeks ago, he had the pace to win a race 
and had to fight all the way back up and ended what like fifth or something at the yep. end of it fantastic result here at monaco you look back at qualifying hamilton had great pace not the pace ferrari a red bull had to be fair very tricky course for what mercedes setup is right now but when they go into the, the races coming up here, they have opportunities, especially I'm very excited for Canada because that is one of those races where Mercedes has some straight line speed that could be very, very valuable. And they've continued to upgrade the car. We'll get to that. that when we get to but that. that's what that's you nailed it. Straight line speed. Monaco does not have straight line no, speed. Far from the, the progress that Mercedes made the week before that, that was not going to happen at Monaco. I think they knew yeah, that yeah. we knew that. So it even gives a little more credit to Russell being able to 100%. stay in fifth yeah, and get those top five, another top five finish, because I mean, they're only 65 points behind or 55 points behind. Yeah. 65 points behind uh, Ferrari for second place in the constructors. Like Mercedes is very much in the season. We are nine races through the season, seven, seven races seven through the season. Races. Seven races through the season. We're not. We're not even close to halfway yet. No. Like there's, you cannot count races. them out. Yeah. yeah. You cannot count them out. Monaco is a different animal. Can I just say how uh, scary and and traumatic it must have been for the Haas team to see another car split in two? Like I'm just like, grateful that it but, didn't blow okay, up. But, no, no, no. Yeah. But, but by design, I want to say that. No, 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 no. For sure, for sure. But this is the it, this is a feature of these new cars. They are designed to split apart in a much more. No, no. Seriously, they are designed button. to take the G force in a different way. Yeah. That, that car did exactly what it was supposed to do. I know it's All scary, hundred percent. Right. And, and yeah, she, especially just being another second Haas, major yeah. shunt of the year, right? If you remember, he had a crash a couple of races ago where they didn't even want to cut to him because they were yeah. worried he couldn't get out of the car. But this was the, the car did exactly what it's supposed to do. They've got the new carbon fiber that's not supposed to just bristle into a whole bunch of millions of little pieces. It did exactly what it's supposed to do. It was scary to see, certainly. Um, but he, it, it turned out okay for him for sure. And I, I mean, to make a lighter note of that crash, watching those two guys pull the back half of that off the track just by like just picking it up and walking it off. <laughs> was probably the funniest thing they had seen all year it's in racing. Yeah. literally just two guys. One guy picked it up from the front and just walked it off while the other guy just kind of like rolled the tires. It was amazing. I do like I do like when you when you have a crash like that and then a moment later the car's near because they've clearly put the crane exactly where they expect yeah. the crash to be. And the guys come. just the crashed exactly where the plan was. It's like, eh, maybe you should talk about this with yeah. track design. Clearly there's well. a flaw here. Well, and Schumacher clearly hit his head or something pretty bad too, or was was quite dizzy because the, the marshals were like, get the hell off the track. And he's just like looking at his car. <laughs> and he's like, just give me a second here. Yeah. Yeah. But for both, that was the first time Haas had both guys out uh, and I think it's their third or fourth race without points now. So Haas, after a, a strong start, kind of they're falling back, and they should be worried. And they're spending a lot of money repairing these cars. Yeah, yeah. I wanted Pretty to say, I know you're you're going to move us on here to Azerbaijan in a second, Braden. But I wanted to say one more thing because you yourself have not brought it up yet. I don't know if you were aware of this. Yeah, I know. But what you're Lando Norris, amazing, had, had the fastest lap of this race. <laughs> And did you know that that is his first fastest lap in his career? 
That is an incredibly. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, 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 I didn't know that. That's a big milestone for a young driver who came off tonsillitis a week ago. Looked yeah. like shit coming into this race, but clearly, you know, felt good enough to be able to push. And he, they, they pulled him in for the late pit stop, put on the, the soft tires, send him out there, and he steals a fastest point away from Red Bull, from Perez, and from the, from the, the Ferraris. Good for McLaren. It's an extra point and uh, a great little feather in the cap for for young Lando Norris, who has been struggling for a couple of weeks. But he had you know, a great weekend. He had a great weekend. He had a great well, weekend. Thank, yes. And hopefully this is the beginning of more weekends for him because he is like the racing is better when Lando Norris is in is fighting for the top five. percent. Thank you for tuning McLaren's horn for me. I uh, well, they, we could talk about Ricardo and bring it right back down. Yeah, yeah, bring it right back down. That's maybe why I avoided it. Uh, and, <laughs> let's let's uh let's leave monaco there you guys this week's episode is brought to us by ellipses thinking ellipses thinking is the newest podcast from the ordinary podcasting network host greg dowler coltman shares his conversations with people actively engaged in their own creative adventures those who identify as artists and those who choose to experience life through an artistic lens They shed light on relationships that shape and inspire us as we meet the challenges, discoveries, and learnings we make when we courageously invite our creative spirit forth. You can subscribe now or follow anywhere you get your podcasts. Okay, we got another race in two weeks' time. We've got another week off here, and uh, upcoming Sunday, June 12th, we've got the Azerbaijan Grand Prix Baku City Circuit. You guys, how excited are you? Go for it. I would go go for it, Jordan. I mean, this uh, no, you know what? I'm gonna take it for a little bit because this is an exciting race. Like you can go three wide on some of these straights, yes, yes, and especially going into turn one, this is always a very dramatic race. It's another street circuit. Um, the slightest mistakes, you can get punished very quickly. Um, it's just uh, you gotta choose your downforce or your or your corners. You have to pick one in this race. So that's where, like, I mean, this is Mercedes is going to pick the the downforce for the straights. So, I mean, and Red Bull tends to go the other way. So this could be like, I don't know. I'm excited about this race. Yeah, this is one of those races. They brought us a lot of drama last season, if you remember, especially considering its impact on the championship title race uh, between Max and Lewis, both of whom sort of had blunders in this one. Unfortunately for Max, it was unforced last year. He blew a tire after having led most of the race, including getting the fastest lap, but he blew a tire. They had some Pirelli issues and uh, there was a lot of question marks around the integrity of the Pirelli tires because Lance Stroll also blew a tire uh, after a certain number of laps but it cost Max an opportunity to get very important points and left the huge window open for Lewis on a restart. But when Lewis had the restart, if you remember, he had put the wrong uh, input into the steering wheel. And as they took the restart, he went straight off. He wasn't able to brake because all of the brake differential had been put to the front and it cost him huge valuable points too. Uh, And so we had a very unexpected final three in this race last year, Sergio Perez winning, I believe what was his first race for Red Bull, uh, first win for Red Bull last season. And then we had uh, Sebastian Vettel on the podium at number two and Pierre Gasly at number three. So a huge very very unpredictable podium last year i would expect it will be slightly less dramatic at the top this year but i hope not too i mean this is as tyler said a very challenging street course uh it has some great um straightaway opportunities there are two big drs zones that are both actually competitive drs zones and now with these new cars they should be even more competitive 
Um, as, as Tyler also said, I think Mercedes has a great opportunity this weekend to get into this fight and make this even more complicated for Red Bull and Ferrari. Ferrari, obviously, storyline-wise, is looking for their bounce back. Mm-hmm. Carlos, who was so close to getting his first win here at Monaco, if it hadn't been for some strategic failures, may have had an opportunity for that, is going to be continuing to fight for that. The storylines are just like... I mean, it's just as deep as you want to go into it. Every single team's got something to prove here. Opportunities to bounce back. And frankly, I think for a lot of teams, they're just glad to be done with Monaco. It's such a weird weekend. And here we go off to Baku and to Baku City. And this circuit is a completely different uh, beast. So it will be a lot of fun um, to, to just see something completely different. Yeah. And I'm, I'm almost certain that a lot of these cars are going to be happy that they figured out their porpoising issues before they get here because it is a very, very long straightaway um in Baku and I mean I don't know I feel like we could see George Russell hitting the podium in this one hey I like it I like it uh Jordan who who do you think is going to hit the podium I don't know I mean that's the thing this is this race could could be wide open I I I I like Tyler's take on that I think George Russell has been knocking at the door here but I also wouldn't I would for one he's definitely due for one but I wouldn't be surprised again if if um we, we saw an opportunity for his teammate Hamilton to get back up into this fight because this is a track he's found success at. And it's a track that, again, if he's like, you see the progressions that he has made in, in the car in the last couple of weeks, Russell's been very consistent, but Hamilton's really found the next level on this one. He got so unlucky a couple of weeks ago, but there's an opportunity here for, for that to improve. But I mean, it really is going to come down to whether or not Ferrari and Red Bull make mistakes. And that, that's the story yep. of the season, right? They they are the two teams to beat. Um, if Mercedes wants to get up into that fight, they're going to have to take it to them and hope that a mistake is there. I don't think they can be they can anticipate being quite as lucky as they were last year with a tire failure because I think that's very unlikely at this point. Um, but I don't know. I mean, for me, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity. Charles Leclerc is going to be a very very hungry driver. Well, Ferrari has been slipping up lately, and Sainz doing well at Monaco, and Leclerc hungry again. This is the first time Leclerc finished at Monaco, by the way. So he's going to want to get back up there because they have been losing points to Red Bull steadily over the past few weeks or a few races. But, I mean, this you, you could lose one of these top five drivers in the first turn of this race. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, and we're going to know so much by Thursday – about where this is going because as we see these cars get into the practice sessions on this track that will dictate a lot of what the expectations are and as you as tyler says you could lose them on the first turn you could lose them 10 laps 15 laps 25 laps into this thing this is a hard circuit to drive it is not you know it, it it takes dedicated focus the entire way not like monaco does but the difference is here take the narrow streets of monaco for parts of this track and then triple the speed yeah, that's what that's, this track yeah, is. Yeah, that's what's yeah, exciting yeah. about it. You know, 51 so, we have 51 laps, six kilometers. Yeah, but it's a high pace lap, and it's one of those laps that you know, tight, tight corners, like three or four 90 degree turns. Yeah, where yeah. there's not a lot of space. That's where Lewis made his mistake coming mm-hmm. out of the starting blocks here. I would expect there to be some yellow and red flags. Nicholas Latifi is guaranteed to give us some excitement. Oh, and uh, if it's not him, if Stroll will be next in line. And if it's not him, it'll be, you know, regardless. Somebody's going to go in a wall here at some point. Yeah. And it's going to open an opportunity for something to happen there. There's like six 
I also hard 90 degree turns. This is a very 90 degree course off of very, very high speeds. So breaking zones at the end, whoever there's going to, there's going to be one point where there's two or three cars going. One of them is going to try to break late to get that corner and it's not going to turn out well. That's very it true. should lead to some great racing. It should look for some great racing and opportunities for guys who have had good races but haven't found success yet to jump in there. Look for Alonzo. He's going to be competitive. He's always competitive in these kind of races. And Alpine has shown, again, like Mercedes, very good straight line speed. This is also a track, I think, that based on what we've seen so far this season, favors a guy like Kevin Magnuson, yeah. who drove very well earlier in the season at Bahrain. A guy who has had very good success in a straight line. When they put the Haas in the right conditions, it drives very well. Yep. It could be one of those races where there's a lot of guys, especially uh, the, 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 the drivers who we have seen, you know, um, bursts of excitement from throughout the year, find that next year. Lando Norris has a good opportunity here. McLaren, we haven't talked a lot about the development of McLaren. McLaren made more changes going into the race two weeks ago than any other team. And it took them a couple, I think it's now taken them a couple weeks to really get all of that dialed in. But Norris has an opportunity here to turn that McLaren and that Mercedes engine that's in the back of it onto just like an absolute blistering pace. If he drives as well as he drove in Monaco on this circuit that serves the McLaren car better, he has an opportunity to be fighting for podium to go back to your first question. Like there are guys here who have opportunities to make things happen. Um, and it'll all come down to who survives the first couple laps and then whose strategy plays off. And like, there's so, this is one of those great races that we've seen some fun stuff at in the last couple of years that I'm very excited to see. And it's just nice to see something different. You know what I mean? Hey guys. Well, we've got the Azerbaijan Grand Prix on June 12th, uh, early, early start here in Canada, uh, Practice one and two go June 10th. Practice three and qualifying on June 11th. Thank you both. We'll catch you later. Pit Stop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.